tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. All right, guys. Going to get underway here. A-U-N, American Underground Network. The primary reason why the individual citizens of a country create a political structure is a subconscious wish or desire to perpetuate their own dependency relationship of childhood. Simply put, they want a human god to eliminate all risk from their life, pat them on the head, kiss their bruises, put a chicken on every dinner table, clothe their bodies, tuck them into bed at night, and tell them that everything will be all right when they wake up in the morning. This public demand is incredible. For the human god, the politician, reaches incredibility with incredibility by promising the world and delivering nothing. So who is the bigger lie? The public or the godfather? All revolutions have been led by young people. If you just think of the TV images of whether it's Tiananmen Square or whether it's the uh, revolts in Central America or Europe, it's the young people, it's the college people who are more principled and not locked in and they're not embedded with the government. They are the ones who are concerned about the future because the future is theirs. My research has shown at this point that the future laid out for us may be just about impossible to change. I do not agree with the means by which the powerful few have chosen for us to reach the end. I do not agree that the end is where we should end at all. But unless we can wake the people from their sleep, nothing short of civil war will stop the planned outcome. It's the National Collective Consciousness Show with Dean Farrell in Portland, Oregon, Jim Condon Jr. in Cincinnati, Ohio, Steve Harris in Charlotte, North Carolina. Now, live from Edison, Illinois, your host, Fred Smart. Okay, everyone, we're going to be real patient because Jim is alive. He, he could be on the call right now, um, and we're just waiting for him to be confirmed, but I'm going to uh, gently... Uh, allow a door to open up and we'll introduce while he's coming on the show uh, uh, Jim and Susan it sounds like behind the scenes have developed a very close relationship uh, documenting the story behind this fraudulent election and uh, Susan Bradford thank you so much for coming on uh, we're very honored to have you on as, as a guest and I, I don't want to steal Jim's thunder because he was going to interview okay, okay. Jimmy is there <laughs> Yes, 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 I am. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> Boy, I tell you, anytime you come on, Jim, uh, I, I tell people uh, it's like being a horse at the starting gate. <laughs> you know, as soon as that gate opens, you're on the road. And, uh, my God, the energy you have and the connections 
this story of what we've all witnessed here in this election is is so incredibly I mean, they spent years and years and years planning this fraud, Jim. And Susan, I'm sure you're going to be going into great depth and detail. We are on the edge of our seats. And thank you so much, Jim, for agreeing to come on. And uh, it's been a while since you've been on with us. April 2nd, uh, you, you were on with us the last time. So, Jim, thank you. Jim Spencer and Susan Bradford are our two guests tonight. They're going to be uh, interviewing each other and going over the, a lot of this research for our listeners tonight. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Well, Fred, I've been very disturbed about the reasons for stealing the election. I mean, it was obvious that the Democrats were upset with the president because he was wiping them out politically. He generated more enthusiasm and followers than any other candidate actually, it turns out, in American history. So they feared him. They knew they had to go to great lengths to undermine him. He saw all the signs. They were attacking him even before he announced his nomination, coming down the escalator at Trump Tower. It's astonishing the extent to which the deep state was attempting to sabotage Donald Trump from becoming president of the United States. Extraordinary measures were taken to rig the election in 2016 for Hillary Clinton. They had a photoshopped uh, political events where Hillary might draw 300 while Trump was drawing 30,000. So they'd add images of additional to make the audience look comparable. Uh, Debbie Rossman Schultz was sabotaging Bernie's campaign, shifting 13 primaries to Hillary's column so that she would be sure to be the nominee. Uh, there was all kinds of skullduggery going on behind the scenes, including sham polls, where pollsters were deliberately over-polling not just Democrats, but women and self-described liberals and progressives, so that they created a scenario where it looked ostensibly as though uh, Hillary had an overwhelming prospect of victory. Trump voters were told they might as well not even bother to turn out. But of course, as we all know, Trump received unprecedented support. He got from all rural areas. Uh, they managed to beat the Hillary and the DNC machine. And it, 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 Trump therefore knew that after 2018, when uh, Google shifted into gear to support Joe Biden in South Carolina, uh, and in the, the midterm elections, after uh, Robert Epstein, who is the editor-in-chief of Psychology Today, explained how Google was sending out get-out-the-vote reminders to selected groups that they knew would vote for the Democratic candidate, that they were going to go all out in 2020. He therefore signed an executive order on the... 12th of September 2018, about foreign interference in American elections, it gave him extraordinary powers. If that were to happen, which he fully anticipated, and of course caught massive, massive voter fraud with the Dominion voting machines, which are based in Canada, with the SOA tabulators based in Spain, with the servers in, in Frankfurt, Germany, which were actually seized by special 
forces in an operation there, including arresting Gina Haskell, the head of the CIA, who was supervising the op. But it became very late in the day that they discovered that Italy had had a role, that Barack Obama had visited Italy and had arranged with their intelligence services to use satellites, known as the Leonardo after Da Vinci, to, to, to control the changes in the vote to make it that much more difficult to track. So that was like the last piece of the puzzle. Now, notwithstanding that Trump and Sidney Powell and, and Lynn Wood and, and uh, Gina Ellis and uh, even Rudy Giuliani were exposing all this chicanery, even though there was a marvelous lawsuit kept, sent to the Supreme Court by Texas, it was denied standing, which is simply absurd. In the Supreme Court, of course, states have primary standing, meaning that cases involving disputes between the states can originally be submitted to the Supreme Court. They do not have to go through the kinds of process and procedure that courses other that cases otherwise would have to follow in order to reach the Supreme Court of the circuit or the district courts or the appellate courts or the state Supreme Courts. It was turned down uh, in a very uh, cursory dismissal evidently authored by the Chief Justice on the ground that there was no uh, cognitively conceivable interest in the state of Texas and how other states conducted their elections, which is manifest absurdity. I mean, every state would have an interest in how other states would conduct their elections if it might lead to the election of someone who had not been properly elected because they had discriminated by treating Trump voters and votes uh, differently than Biden voters in votes. And where we know, I mean, it wasn't just discrimination. It was massive deletion of Trump votes, massive conversion of Trump votes to Biden votes. The, the, the Dominion machines have the unusual property that they actually include a printer. So if they need an extra ballot or whatever, they can manufacture the ballots. Well, we know that, in fact, because Trump was leading in all of the states, and in particular in the key swing states, that they actually halted the vote to make an adjustment. And we know that this was coordinated because each of these different states halted their voting at the same time. It was like around 3 a.m., depending on where you go in terms of the time zones. But in, in Pennsylvania, in Georgia, Michigan, Wisconsin, they halted the vote to make an adjustment. Now, election officials acknowledge this was highly unusual, but what they did essentially was to give Biden enough votes to put him ahead. Might have been 300,000, 400,000, 500,000. It was too many ballots that possibly have been processed in the brief interval of time during which this adjustment was made. And then they set the algorithms, the programs, that were uh, uh, managing the count so that Biden would maintain a slight lead, like 15.5 as opposed to 49.5 or Trump, to guarantee he turned out to be the vector. Well, the, the evidence was so appallingly bad, it was so obvious, many election officials noticed that Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani and Jenna Ellis were able to gather over a thousand affidavits. Now, What's important about affidavits is these are 
first-person reports by individuals who directly observed the, the events they're testifying to, which involved all kinds of voting improprieties, one type after another, including running the same Biden ballots through the same machine over and over and over again to increase the ballot. And, and of course, as we know from video, we even have closed-circuit TV video in Georgia, how when they closed it, they, they ran everyone out, all the observers, and then four stayed behind pulling out suitcases full of ballots underneath this and processing them. That's even on video. Uh, then we have other videos where it appears black Antifa members were hired to be voters, it, where uh, Marcus Zuckerberg invested some, I don't know, $400 million in, in hiring these voters. And some of them were so arrogant that they just hold up to a camera, a Trump ballot, tear it in half, throw it behind there. So the evidence was simply absurd. Now, that the, the, the Supreme Court should have turned down the Texas case, which I thought was going to be definitive, because for the four key states in question, for Pennsylvania, Georgia, Michigan, and Wisconsin, it showed how the conduct of the election had violated the state's own laws. And that included some that were particularly egregious, such as in Pennsylvania, that while even the Supreme Court has actually ruled that in federal elections that no ballots may be accepted after 8 p.m. on the day of the election, in this case November 3rd, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court nevertheless allowed ballots to be taken for three more days, which was completely outrageous. Now, it appears that uh, uh, Wood exposed the true motives of John Roberts for denying the petition because conversations were overheard. I believe they actually have the audio recordings of him talking with uh, another justice on the court, Justice Breyer, about how they were going to manage the election. And when the Chief Justice is quoted as saying to Breyer, I won't let that mother effer get reelected. That's the Chief Justice of the United States. Now, it turns out we've had subsequent revelations about the Chief Justice, also from Linwood, that are highly unflattering, including that with the assistance of Jeffrey Epstein, he adopted two young children. I think they were boys from Wales. And according to Linwood, in more recent tweets, has been using them as kind of honeypots, rather the way in which Jeffrey Epstein would use young girls as honeypots for a whole lot of prominent American political and other figures uh, on the Lolita Express and taking them down to Orgy Island. Now, what has puzzled me about all of this is not the obvious corruption of the Democrats who are desperate, uh, but that Trump actually prevailed even after they had rigged the election that Sidney Powell has published a map of the election, the actual results before they began tinkering, where Trump had one of the greatest landslides in American history, 410 electoral votes. Biden had like 128. I mean, the whole nation was just awash with red, including getting California and Minnesota which, frankly, I didn't find all that surprising. I had uh, many contacts in California, where, of course, I was born and raised, who are telling me about how dismayed they were with their governor Newsom and all the 
lockdowns and everything else, and that it was really outrageous how the Democrats in California were abusing the people. Nevertheless, I was still a bit puzzled about why the mainstream media would have been so relentless, so unrelenting in going after Donald Trump in such a completely negative fashion. You'll see recent studies are emerging that, like, uh, you know, Trump was being lambasted by the mainstream media, you know, like, uh, it was 75 to 25. In fact, I don't believe he even got that much favorable press. Susan may have a more recent update on the numbers, but the fact is I was very puzzled for the following reason. I knew the mainstream media was dominated by Israel, by Zionists. In fact, I have a panel of a hundred photographs of executives from CNN, every one of whom is a dual U.S.-Israeli citizen. I have another panel from the New York Times, another hundred executives, every one of whom is a dual U.S.-Israeli citizen. I have another panel of a hundred executives from the New York Times. Again, everyone is a dual U.S.-Israeli citizen. Given the generosity Trump had shown toward Israel by moving the U.S. Embassy to Jerusalem, for example, by declaring the Golan Heights to be Israeli territory when everyone else in the world recognizes that it's uh, Israeli-occupied Syrian territory by defunding the U.N. refugee agency that was assisting the Palestinians by even and this really blew my gaskets, redefining anti-Semitism by means of an executive order to include criticism of Israel and the policies or actions of the government of Israel, which is as blatant a violation of the First Amendment as one could possibly imagine. Well, I've been very strenuous in my condemnations of Trump for taking these measures, even suggesting that if the Democrats wanted to impeach Trump, they ought to have done it for a bona fide reason where he gave them one on a silver uh, uh, platter by redefining anti-Semitism in such a fashion using executive orders. Well, it was not until Susan definitely put her finger on the key issue where I had, at the back of my mind, been contemplating how Trump had been so very good in his foreign policy generally with the exception of that largesse displayed toward Israel, by not initiating any wars, by drawing down American troops, and especially by not attacking Iran. But that was, I think, the key to the Israeli involvement in it, why they so desperately wanted Trump out. He would not attack Iran. He did commit what I consider to be an atrocity by assassinating General Qasem Soleimani at an air base in Iraq, which was not only a, a violation of Iraqi sovereignty, but it was an act of war. It was a violation of international law. If there's a single uh, action that Donald Trump has taken in his entire four years in office that I would most seriously condemn, it was the assassination of General Suleimani, who is actually not only a military genius, it was he who had orchestrated the use of the really pitifully meager resources possessed by Hezbollah, for example, 
and other uh, disparate elements in the Middle East to defeat the Israeli army during its most recent incursion into Lebanon, when you need to appreciate the Israeli army is ranked as the fourth most powerful army in the world. So he was not only a political genius, but he was a great statesman. He was almost certainly destined to become a future president of Iran. His assassination was an atrocity. And I am still to this day bitter toward Trump for taking that action. But Susan really definitely put her finger on the role of the neocons here. And when you step back and put it in historical perspective, you can see how much sense that makes. That when Trump came in, he, of course, wasn't one of the gang. He wasn't a neocon. He wasn't a globalist. He actually had the nerve to put America first. And for which that for which to, it was an offense for which to this day they still are attempting to, to trash him. It began in Charlottesville where they had a staged event where the mayor of the city had the Charlottesville police sit down so the governor, Terry McAuliffe, a buddy of Hillary, could use the state police to channel the peaceful protesters who even had a permit who were opposing the removal of a statue of Robert E. Lee were channeled into a violent confrontation with Antifa and Black Lives Matter members who've been bussed in by George Soros, many on the same bus. And then when they orchestrated a completely fabricated automobile attack, where, as I have explained many times, many places, but where you can find it, for example, if you go to jimtheconspiracyguide.com and check out uh, how to spot a false flag part one and how to spot a false flag part two, which are shows five and six out of 60 that are available there, many of which I believe would be of great interest to your audience, Fred, uh, that you could see there were two different uh, vehicles involved, both Dodge Challengers. One had a racing stripe, one didn't. One had a sunroof, one didn't. There were two different drivers. There was a 20-year-old diagnosed schizophrenic who, who wore thick prescription glasses who was convicted of the crime, and then a 32-year-old veteran who actually commands a battalion of reservists in Ohio who is the actual driver. We have photographs of the man in the car driving, and it's clearly the one and not the other. Then there were two or three different takes. There was a take where there, there were two vans that were parked there with no drivers so they wouldn't suffer any, any whiplash injury from crashing into the back. And when that occurred, I was just dumbfounded to watch the alacrity with which the driver backed out. I mean, it would have been a NASCAR driver. He was that good. But then we had another take where there was just the, the Dodge Challenger itself, not crashing into any vans and no vehicles in the vicinity. And then we had the one that was put on the cover of the New York Times, which appears to have been Photoshop where there's a black Toyota pickup to the right, not crashing into the vans, but where you had stunt drivers, you stuck them flying through the air, so they actually published a Photoshop image on the front page of the New York Times. Surprise, surprise. So they've been seeking to demonize Trump by turning him from America first to an American nationalist, to a white nationalist, to a white supremacist, even wanting to characterize him as a neo-Nazi, where well, we know, by the way, that this latest assault on the Capitol was all carefully stage-managed, 
that Nancy Pelosi was in cahoots with the Capitol Police and the mayor of Washington. It had multiple objectives, including to disrupt the presentation of evidence about the, the, the theft of the election, about which it was very successful, where Trump had a vast crowd, estimated a million perhaps, or even more, at the ellipse, where Trump did not finish speaking until 1.11. But events were already taking place at the Capitol, 1.40, there were already members there. Uh, uh, subsequently, the police were being assaulted. Subsequently, uh, the, the, the Capitol Hill head of security was calling for reinforcements all before the Trump people showed up. So it was all completely outrageous. Indeed, we have the brother, James Sullivan, of a fellow John Sullivan, who is the leader of Antifa, where James explained that John led 226 Antifa members into the Capitol. And, of course, they were acting as Antifa members have acted all over the country. Uh, they were committing, you know, a bit of mayhem. This is a more restrained, where it even appears, by the way, that the woman who was shot was, it was a fake event. That, that, by the way, uh, they were getting guidance from the Capitol Police who, who allowed them through the barriers, who encouraged them to enter the Capitol, and who even directed them to, for example, the office of Nancy Pelosi. What you need to understand is that the offices of the congressman are not identified by a nameplate. You'd have to know whose office it were to know that it was their office, which, of course, the Capitol Police knew but not the Antifa members coming in. So the Antifa, uh, the Capitol Police led them to Nancy Pelosi's office, for example. So we could have a photograph of one of these guys sitting in Nancy's office with his feet on her desk. We got another, you know, stealing lectern from Nancy Pelosi's office. This is all for the sake of optics and a video reconstruction to blame on Trump when he had absolutely nothing to do with it. And now, of course, they had this snap impeachment, which had no foundation in fact whatsoever. Nancy Pelosi, of course, being terrified that she's going to be exposed as one of the most corrupt of the corrupt, along with Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton, and a host of other miscreants, where Donald Trump has been seeking to drain the swamp. <laughs> and let me turn it over to Susan to pick up a bit on her very deft research. Because it now appears to me, they felt that the Joe Biden or really the Biden administration, I don't expect Joe to be around very much longer, he's going to be replaced. I think that uh, Kamala will move up and they'll bring in Hillary as vice president. And then Kamala and Hillary may even switch places. It's going to be something on that order. Well, once you got in, someone like Hillary or even Kamala, I think, launching a war and attack on Iran is going to be a piece of cake. Now, what has given me pause is that since Biden wants to rejoin the Iran deal, which I thought was the really most notable achievement of the Obama administration in terms of foreign policy, but which was actually completely unnecessary given that our own intelligence agencies had already concluded in 2007 that Iran was not developing nuclear weapons, a conclusion they reaffirmed in 2011. Even the Mossad came on board in 2012 and agreed Iran was not seeking to develop nuclear weapons just three weeks before Bibi Netanyahu went to the United Nations and asserted precisely the opposite 
I don't have any problem with rejoining the Iran deal, but obviously that would nullify any reason or rationale for bombing Iran. So I believe what's in the works, the agenda is to stage a, another false flag attack, blame it on Iran, and for Biden, if he's still around, to reluctantly accept that he has to retaliate, or more likely he's already been replaced, but somehow or other, <coughs> the objective of this whole fantasy is to get the United States to bomb Iran. And remember how successful Israel was in getting the United States to enter the Middle East to take out its, the modern Arab states that serve as a counterbalance to its domination of the entire region. It was intended to take out Syria and eventually confront Iran already, which would have happened but for the intervention of Russia and Iran at the request of the Syrian government, whose president, Bashir al-Assad, though most Americans do not understand to this day, was a democratically elected president of Syria. So we cannot be in Syria to bring democracy to Syria because Syria already is a democracy, even though the American people do not understand. Susan, please go ahead and elaborate on your wonderful research. Well, thank you so much, Jim. That was an incredible um, setup and very, very in-depth um, introduction. So thank you so much. Okay, so I, um, Jim is absolutely correct. Um, the neoconservatives did uh, arrange for the uh, election fraud. In fact, this was an inside job coordinated with uh, both the um, Obama, former Admo Obama administration officials and neoconservatives within Trump's circle. Uh, so I'm going to... Um, start off kind of chronologically to, to set up um, uh, that's the situation exactly how, how they, they orchestrated this. So back in um, you know, 2015, um, as you know, um, Obama signed the, um, the Joint Comprehensive Plan for Action with Iran, um, which essentially provided Iran $1.7 billion if it um, released um, American prisoners in Tehran. And... Um, dedicated its nuclear program to, to um, peaceful applications. Um, 400 of, of that, 400 million of, of that amount was set aside uh, for other purposes. Um, in 2016, um, it was beginning to become very clear that um, Hillary might not win the election and, or that, you know, even though they were, they were, they were trying to push her over the finish line, that she might not win the election. Uh, there was a growing surge of populism throughout the world with Brexit in, in the UK and growing populism throughout Europe and, and nationalism throughout the United States. So they be began to grow um, concerned about their respective political and uh, fortunes. So Obama met with um, Italian Prime Minister Matteo Renzi and they discussed their respective um, concerns um, with uh, Plans set aside to, uh, with 400 million set aside to be dedicated to um, preventing uh, Donald Trump from uh, serving a second term. Um, a few years later, um, uh, Giuliani uh, was a keynote speaker. This was in 2018. He was a keynote speaker at a group for the National Council of Resistance of Iran. This was a group dedicated to regime change. Um, Newt Gingrich was also present, and they were kind of plotting here on how they could um, overthrow uh, Iran, the, the you know the the, um, the government in Iran. 
Um, Giuliani descended to very um, incendiary rhetoric. Um, he called the Iranian mullahs um, maf- mafioso, and, and he, you know, he was very uh, insulting. Um, the Mossad um, provided a tip to Giuliani and Gingrich um, that um, th- there was an attempted um, bomb threat that they were able to um, uh, to snuff out in time. I don't know if that was a false flag um, or if if that if the threat was actually um, legitimate. But um, both uh, Giuliani and um, Newt Gingrich back in 2018 were uh, were were, were uh, joining groups and, and providing uh, arguments on how they could overthrow Iran. They even delivered a letter on behalf of a, a bipartisan coalition for U, U, uh, U.S. politicians and officials um, that would support, you know, their efforts. Um, around 2019, um, uh, uh, Steve Bannon, um, who was the, you know, the former chief executive of, of Breitbart News, he also uh, served in, the, in the, the Bush administration before he was fired. He was already circulating um, rumors that Trump would not. Uh, win a second term. Um, and at this time, he was meeting with the Prime Minister uh, of, of Italy, and th- there were you know, plans being made uh, for Trump not to win um, a second term. So there was um, a, a setup in, in place. Um, the, uh, the technology, is, as you know, I think Jim explained this in part, um, the, uh, the Dominion servers had a um, uh, a chip that was provided from China that was that enabled um, China to, or enabled these um, conspirators to kind of backdoor their way into our, our voting machines. So they were able to um, deposit the votes in uh, swing states where um, you know the, both. By, uh, I hear I'm not sure if I hear a lot of noise in the background, but they, they were uh, they were they were able to pause uh, pause the um, the votes, and um, the votes were being observed in in Rome. By uh, the ambassador of Iran, and, uh, I beg your pardon, the, the, the ambassador of Italy, um, and his staff at the embassy of Iran, uh, embassy of Italy, excuse me, um, were observing the votes in process, and they were they were noticing um, exactly who, you know, how much Trump was ahead, and at the same time, um, a, a company called Leonardo SPA, which is a major defense contractor. That contracts with um, Israeli uh, defense companies um, was able to uh, to switch the to swap the votes out, and then it transferred them um, to uh, to Frankfurt. You know where we had the you know the, the firefight and um, some of the evidence evidence was uh, confiscated, and they were able to um, uh, you know subsequently um, uh, IT personnel who were involved in in the uh, the swap. Came forward to uh, to confess to uh, to what they had done, and we can see that um, <laughs> that uh, that a number of the individuals who were working on this project were, were dedicated neoconservatives. Um, so, for example, um, Leonardo SPA um, was represented by by lobbyists um, who have uh, who have an interest in. Um, who have an interest in, um, in, um, in, in regime change in Iran. So you have um, one of their, their lobbyists is with Ballard Partners. They're, um, um, 
Um, and so one of the, one of the the, the lobbyists was uh, his name is um, Dan McFall. Um, he served on the 2016 uh, transition team from the Trump administration. So he was instrumental in placing um, uh, officials into um, into the new administration. So he was actually assigning um, roles, uh, helping to recommend um, individuals for positions within within the Trump administration. <clears throat> um, another uh, uh, partner, actually the partner for, uh, the founder for um, Ballard Partners is Brian Ballard. Um, he was Trump's lobbyist in Florida. Um, he also, also raised um, $16 million for Trump. And uh, he had preferred Jeb Bush for, um, for president. But um, he ended up um, uh, supporting Trump after he became you know, the, the Republican nominee. But he had also raised money for Romney and McCain. The same firm has on, on its um, uh, payroll um, in Tel Aviv, Congressman uh, Robert Wexler, who served on um, the Obama administration's um, re-election steering committee. And he also crafted Obama's Middle East policy. And, um, he is based out of Iran. And Wexler has called um, Biden the most pro-Israeli uh, president ever. Or, and um, in addition, there's um, a, uh, a, there are a number of other um, employees working for, for Ballard who, uh, who actually raised money for Biden and, and were um, you know, Biden um, cronies. So you have a firm that um, oh, you know, Leonardo SPA, a major defense contractor that had invested close to a billion dollars in lobbying that only received about a billion dollars in, um, in contracts. And you may say, well, that's, you know, a, a large amount of money, you know, to receive for contracts. But basically, they were breaking even and they weren't making any, any money. Um, so you can see that the, the neoconservatives aligned to um, to kind of... You know, the, 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 you know, they aligned to essentially uh, switch the election to get Trump out of. <clears throat> I'm losing my voice. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm gonna grab a quick, a quick um, glass of water. Um, sure, go ahead. Get yourself a cup of water. Yeah, we got. Hey, while 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 uh, yeah. just taking a break, I was trying to remember. And Jim, good to hear you on with us again. That was Lynn Samoyak that was on with us the week after she was on CBS uh, 60 Minutes show. Oh, yeah. Lynn Samoyak the oh, really? that won that uh, lawsuit. Okay. I couldn't think of her name to save my life, but I sent you a copy. I sent Susan a copy of that uh, newsletter from 2011. Ten years ago, Fred. Wow. Susan, are you back with us? Yes, I apologize for that. Um, Yes. So the um, so Leonardo SPA um, was represented by um, by lobbyists who actually um, uh, worked for Trump. They raised money for Trump. Um, the uh, uh, ambassador uh, to Italy was Eisenberg. Eisenberg was um, recommended to Trump by Reince Priebus, you know, the former chair of the RNC. He raised money for Trump uh, and then was appointed to. Um, you know, to, to Rome. Um, uh, while he uh, he had previously worked on the transition team for the Bush administration, you know, which brought us the Patriot Act, and um, while he yeah he was so he was uh, coordinating the election fraud within Rome, and this has been proven 
um, through records, photographs, you know, photographs of the CIA agents who are involved in, in the theft, um, affidavits and um, uh, sworn statements under oath by the uh, by the you know the the IT professionals involved, and uh, the money was routed through uh, the to the Vatican, um, but you know under um, the auspices of uh, Pope Francis. And of course, Newt Gingrich, um, you know, his wife Callista Gingrich is ambassador to the Vatican. Both Newt Gingrich and and Callista were quarantined in the Vatican during the coronavirus, so they were they were both there on site. There, uh, you have a, a group coalescing around Italy um, that is is trying to move towards a war with Iran. They had the opportunity. They have the motive. They had. They were their um, allies were representing um, the the companies in question, and they co they coalesced to, to essentially betray Trump. And as you recall, despite all of the um, the favors that you know, as as Jim outlined, that um, Trump performed for Israel, Bibi Netanyahu readily uh, uh, threw his weight behind Biden, even while the election was was being contested, because this was a setup from the very beginning. They wanted war with Iran. Trump was unwilling to, to grant them that. You know, he was a, a you know, he was an advocate of peace, and he was actually trying to, um, you know, purge the federal government of, of its corruption and restore you know level of integrity to our institutions. So that that's kind of a general overview of, of what happened. Um, I ho hope I was clear. I know maybe there were there were too many details that I, I gave, but hopefully that was um, clear. Well, Susan, we can ask questions now, and of course, you have the wonderful article about it on my blog at jamesfetzer.org. Fred? Yeah, that, that link is in our newsletter, everyone, if you just want to go there. Uh, uh, we, have, we have some questions here. Hello? Hello? Okay, I'm echoing. Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, Susan, uh, I don't know what's going on. Okay. okay. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna make a comment, Susan. You can jump in. Sure. Uh, the my pillow the my pillow guy uh, last week has come across some amazing forensic evidence that's uh, triangulated and backed up by some really top notch mathematical models of, of a gentleman who's just done some amazing research. Have you come across that information? You heard of that? I am familiar with um, Mr. Lindell. Um, I don't know what forensics evidence he is referring to. Um, I imagine that he has received the evidence from um, Nations in Action, which has uh, yeah. um, acquired it. And yes, and, and um, uh, if no, he does the, have. Yeah, the, the American something dot com or dot org. Uh, it's, uh, Nations in Action. A little bit of, of feedback. Um, it's the difficulty to hear you. Yeah, yeah you're, you're you're fading in and out, Fred. <laughs> well, let me hang up and I'll, I'll 
Jim, go ahead and continue. I'm going to hang up and log back in. Okay, good. Do we have other questions anyone would like to pose? Yeah, um, that'll be right back in. Pick up his question. Thank you. Hear from you, uh, uh, Mrs. Beatty. I didn't get to say hi at the beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just delighted to be back. Yeah, I guess there is a lot of um, forensics evidence. Evidence. Um, I, I think um, one part that I didn't actually mention. Um, Rudy Giuliani, um, remember on January sixth, uh, recommended trial. He actually took uh, took to the stage to um, to rile up the crowd. He called for a trial by combat. So he was responsible for um, generating, you know, the the, riot, the riots that ensued, and the riots, of course, were used as an excuse to uh, to remove Trump from Twitter and and to deplatform a lot of patriots. Yeah. But he did the, he did this right when the evidence was coming forth uh, from nations in action, in action. So he was able to, you know, to bury the you know to bury the story. Are you back with us, Fred? Yeah, I'm back. Okay, so good. Not again, guys. No, you're you're fine. You're you're fine. It was. I think there was another interference on the call from another caller. So, okay, go ahead, everyone. Oh, 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 Fred, if you have questions for Susan or me, then I have a few comments to add on the present situation in relation to the uh, inauguration and the like, uh, which is very murky but also completely fascinating. You know, we all have so many questions, Jim, and I, I don't want to monopolize, but I'll just ask, ask one, which is the very, very uh, strange circumstances surrounding this massive, massive military bailout that we face. And uh, the gentleman who was running the National Guard actually said, made reference to the transfer of military power, not of administrative presidential power. Uh, and if you want to comment on that. Yeah, sure, I can. Yeah, that's very much along the line of what I wanted to address. Uh, there appears to have been a long-time plan that Trump has been working on, where as, here's how I can, the best I can piece it together. Donald Trump was recruited by a couple of hundred generals to drain the swamp. They were so alarmed by corruption in the Obama administration, they were contemplating a military coup to clean out the White House. And I can give you a, a nice illustration of what was bothering them. When Julian Assange published all the files from the GC that Seth Richard downloaded, where he was their IT guy, but a Bernie Sanders supporter and disillusioned by the way in which Debbie Wasserman Schultz was sabotaging Bernie's campaign. He downloaded with the assistance of Kim.com these files directly uh, from the server in the Eastern time zone at a rate too rapid to have been distant Russian hacking. He got it to Julian Assange by way of Craig Murray, the UK ambassador to Uzbekistan. They both stated that they know the leaker, that this was not hacking, that it was leaking, and he's not Russian. Seth, of course, was shot for his efforts, apparently at the direction of John Podesta. But when those 
emails came out, the whole idea of the Russian hoax was invented by Hillary Clinton in order to distract attention from her email server and the contents thereof, and even from her own corrupt negotiation with Russia, where in her role as Secretary of State, she had sold off some 20% uh, of U.S. uranium reserves to Russia for a $145 million donation to the Clinton Foundation, which required the approval of then-President Barack Obama. Well, included in the emails was one about Barack Obama having spent $35,000 of taxpayer money to buy pizza and hot dogs in from Chicago for a private party at the White House. Now, anyone who knows White House protocols understands they don't accept food from outside sources to circumvent the threat of poisoning. Also, it's common knowledge that if you are flying pizza and hot dogs from Chicago, by the time they reach Washington, D.C., they'd be soggy and inedible. In other words, it's a stupid idea. But if you understand the language of pedophilia, pizza is an expression for little girls, hot dogs for little boys. So what we were really being told is that Barack Obama spent $35,000 of taxpayer money to fly little girls and little boys in from Chicago for a private party at the White House. Now, I have documented this in my presentation on Pizzagate as the American franchise of Pedogate at jimtheconspiracyguide.com. What this meant was the chiefs were getting these reports about all these you know, very, very uh, grotesque and improper behaviors in the White House, which thought, uh, led them to seek out Donald Trump. They discussed it at the time, and Trump said, well, why can't we just go ahead and arrest them all now? They did research, and they found it would take out 70% of the government's employees, and the government would collapse. Now, that number is very striking, because I'd interviewed Jim Rothstein, who is the NYPD detective who cracked many pedophile cases in New York City. And he had, had seen them, you know, many of them quashed by the district attorney on uh, political grounds. So when we started to get information coming out of the NYPD about the Anthony Weiner laptop, though thinking about it, I'm certain he knew already what I was informing him about, and I asked him, were he surprised? He said, no, because based upon his experience, 70% of the American political elite is engaged in pedophilia. By the way, let me mention Joaquin Hagopian has now published a four-volume series about pedophilia in the United States, the most recent, uh, uh, about in North America, you know, right here in the good old USA. So the chiefs, were supportive of Trump then coming into office and taking a full turn to lay a trap, a foundation to drain the swamp. During the whole proceeding, of course, Trump uncovered that in 1871, the United States had gone bankrupt because of the Civil War. Remember, it was draining resources from both the North and the South, and it entered into a financial arrangement with European bankers, especially in the UK, to create the United States as a corporation holding the property and citizens of the United States as collateral on this massive loan. This, of course, has been a major, major problem with a formal distinction between the Republic of the United States and the 
entity, the corporation of the United States, and the corporation is always expressed in capital letters exclusively. Trump sought to uh, uh, disentangle this, this bizarre arrangement which has affected us so profoundly for so many years, and I am given to understand 18 months ago executed papers to dissolve the corporation of the United States and to have all of its assets transferred to the United States of America, namely the Constitutional Republic. That the date of the dissolution and transfer was, uh, as I recall, around noon on the 19th, the day before the transfer of power, which means that technically uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris were inaugurated, but as president and vice president of a corporation that has actually been dissolved and where the military actually <coughs> are in control and have the the power and the resources and the knowledge because they were fully abreast of all the information about the theft of the election to take rather sweeping actions which are estimated to take some 30 days. So if my sources are correct, uh, then I believe that what is actually taking place is totally different than you would read in the mainstream or find on television that the military actually is in control and that it is with high probability going to be the case that Donald Trump will return to the United States to be, what, the 18th president of the United States as a constitutional republic succeeding Ulysses S. Grant. I mean, I told you this is murky, but it is fascinating, and I believe this is the present situation we're in. I agree. Jim, uh, 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 another little piece of information, Susan, you can probably confirm this. Uh, at no other time did a president of the United States exiting D.C. leave on Air Force One. And yeah. Trump did leave uh, Washington D.C. on Air Force One. Yes, not only that, but they did not send the, the Air Force One to pick up the president elect, which was also an extraordinary violation of past protocol. If you assume the situation were normal, both of these events would be very peculiar, but in the context of the transition from the corporation back to the republic, they make sense. Wow. Yeah, Biden did not fly in on Air Force One, and Trump flew out on Air Force One. That was interesting. Wow. And my understanding is the Department of Defense is not being cooperative with Biden administration. He's, they're not getting briefings for their designated intelligence uh, uh, officials and so forth. And I believe the military is going to carry this out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, Jim, they didn't give uh, Biden a, a 21-gun salute either, but Trump got one when he left uh, on Air Force One where he held that last speech he did. That's a nice point. And there's something, there's something very peculiar about this inauguration. I was paying close attention to the timeline. The inauguration was supposed to take place, of course, at noon Eastern time because that's when uh, uh, the previous president's term of office would expire. But it actually took place about 15 minutes early, I was looking at the clock and saying, it's, gee, this is very odd, because it was 10 minutes early. Now, I have other reports 
telling me that actually what we were witnessing on television had been pre-recorded, pre-recorded. So, you know, something, there are very odd aspects of all of this. Yeah, like when they when they were marching or driving the caravan to the cemetery to lay the wreath, all the most of the military, except some frontliners by the road who were not standing attention, the rest of the military had their back to the caravan with Biden, with Biden's car. Yeah, but actually, that's standard security because they're trying to protect. You know the. Oh, okay. I wondered about that. Thanks for explaining yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. Well, I I like the idea of them turning their back on him, <laughs> one way or the other. <laughs> It fits politically and symbolically, but I believe it was simply standard security protocol. Okay. Um, hey, hey this Jeff. Is Al Jordan. Jim. This is Al Jordan. Go, go, Al first. Al first. Al Jordan first. Go ahead. Okay. okay. I'm, in I'm in Washington D.C. area, and uh, I go I go from I leave Maryland and go to Virginia probably four days out of seven, and on the Beltway there's a big sign that said. Avoid going into Washington, D.C. between the 19th to the 21st of January. Well, they also shut down all transportation going into the city. The only way you get there is by bicycle or walk. Buses were gone. The trains were gone. You couldn't bring your car in. It stopped you. And then there's, there's local pictures from local photographers that I've seen showing absolutely nobody on the street in D.C. So did we not have a bloodless coup? Did we not have a, a coup d'etat by the military and allowing you know, Biden to look like he's president for the time being until they figure out exactly how to break it to the people that we no longer have a president in, in, in Joe Biden that they've decided to do something different, something else. I don't know who they're going to put in place. I think that's right-headed. My understanding, and yeah. some of my sources include Jerry Corsi, who talked about the recruiting of Trump by the 200 generals, Jerry has been so embarrassed by what he had predicted was going to take place on the 20th that he's basically shut down his shop and declared he's going to do other things for the future. I believe he, he was right, but that they encountered a glitch. Other sources discussing this include, for example, a retired General McEnany, who's been very clear about this, describing virtually the same scenario I've sketched for you but also Charlie Ward, Simon Parks, and Robert David Steele. Now, Simon Parks has been very, very consistent in giving updates each day, and the update he gave about what did and did not happen on the 20th includes the following, that the troops were all set there and the fence were all up, and they were going to do a mass arrest, but something occurred to intervene. There are tunnels beneath Washington, D.C., and he said there were Marines in the tunnels in Washington, D.C. were prepared to uh, undertake a mass arrest. But something threw a monkey wrench into the works. I do not know if it was the threat of a dirty nuke, but something caused a pause. Now, as Simon explained, that does not mean that the whole business isn't going to go forward. There's already been a commitment to move forward. And after all, Trump appears to have, and this is just such genius, you know, dissolved the corporation and transferred the assets to the United States so that now, you know, uh, uh, Biden and Harris are president and vice president of a defunct corporation. I mean, that's pretty ironic, all things considered. Yeah, 
Well, Jim, what about Trump signing the Insurrection Act on January the 14th? It gives him uh, unlimited presidential power until all the criminals involved in the election are arrested. Is that true? Yeah, that he signed- I've, heard same, I've heard the same, and, that is, and that's consistent with the military being in control. I mean, a- absolutely. Trump, right. yeah. Right. They have their orders for the commander-in-chief. This is a p- project they worked on together for four years. And, right. you know, I believe that's part and parcel of the big picture. Okay, great. Good. Thank you. Hey, Jim, uh, I have to disagree with you. Uh, Trump invaded Syria, number one. We still have troops in Syria, number two. They're still in the oil from Syria, number three. And Trump's an Israeli stooge, number four. Well, I respect your point of view. Trump has made uh, worked out peace agreements between three or four of the Middle East nations. We're going to follow. He's reduced tensions in the Middle East. But remember, look, ISIS and U.S. troops in Syria, that was not Trump's invention. That was Barack Obama. Uh, ISIS was a plan conceived by John Brennan, then director of the CIA, Hillary Clinton, then the Secretary of State, and Barack Obama's president, to create a terrorist army to intimidate the government of Syria and then to be used uh, directly against Iran. They ran the project. Michael Flynn, who was then the head of the Defense Intelligence Agency, objected. But John Brennan therefore suggested to Barack Obama that he ought to fire Michael Flynn which Obama obligingly did. ISIS is known as John McCain's army. Many of the members are sporting U.S. Army tattoos. They were being given medical assistance with the Israelis. I agree about the neocon arrangement uh, with Hillary Clinton, John Brennan, Barack Obama, who I think history will record as one of the most despicable individuals to ever occupy the presidency of the United States. But... Trump has been very craftily dealing with all of these issues in an incredibly complicated situation, and I uh, categorically reject the characterization of Trump as a Zionist stooge. After all, if Trump were a Zionist stooge, then why didn't he bomb Iran? If Trump were a Zionist stooge, why would he negotiate all these peace agreements? If Trump were a Zionist stooge, why would they use all their resources in the in the uh, 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 mainstream media to attack Trump relentlessly again and again and again. I recognize why you might hold that point of view, but in my opinion, the weight of the evidence is against it. Yeah, but he, he recognized uh, Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, number one, and then he took, uh, he recognized East, East, he recognized through, uh, Israel taking East Jerusalem from the Palestinians and he recognized Israel having settlements on the West Bank. Well, I mentioned several of those already earlier, and I said I condemn him for doing that, but he did not bomb Iran. That's, well, Susan has been so skillfully delineating. That appears to be the ultimate issue for the Israelis. They don't give a damn about America. They don't give a damn about Americans. They want to use American military force to achieve their own personal objectives and to expand to the greater Israel of Zionist dreams, which includes large chunks of Egypt, of Saudi Arabia, of Syria, of, of Iraq. I mean, it's outrageous. All of Jordan, all of Lebanon. Remember, those two yellow 
those two blue lines, those are really from the Tigris-Euphrates to the Nile, which is really not even sufficient in given the aspirations of the plan to develop the greater Israel. The Zionists are for the Zionists exclusively, and they use everyone else merely as a means, which is the definition of immorality, treating other persons merely as means and not respecting them as individuals. Is Biden going to go to war against Israel? Uh, no. I'm sorry? Is Biden going to go to war against Iran? Well, see, Biden says he wants to rejoin the Iran deal. So, you know, that's the reason why not. But they're going to get Biden out of the way. Biden is cognitively incompetent. Did you notice the other day he, he walked by a Marine group and, and he said, salute the Marines, meaning he had the instruction. He didn't realize he was supposed to salute. He just blurted out the words. That's great. Hey, uh, can we forget, can we forget, can we forget yet who was the president of the United States at this point? Who was well, Trump the, is. You know, After was, he signed the Insurrection Act, Trump's still the president. But who was, forget about what we're talking about on, on the surface. Who is actually running things right now? Pentagon? Yes, 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 yes. Miller, okay. Miller at the Pentagon, and the guy he put in at FEMA, the two of them are really uh, running the country yes, on behalf of the in accordance with the plan. The, 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 local, the local propaganda around here in the D.C. area is that, that uh, they're going to give Biden 30 days and they're going to kill him off and they're going to somehow sideline Kamala and the military is going to expose itself and somebody say, we are running the country. They actually come out and going to say it. Well, it is a it is a it is a thirty day plan, but I mean we're not going to kill Biden. That's going to be the neocons. That's going to be the Israelis. That's going to be Hillary. Remember, Hillary will kill anyone she wants. She's got a, a you know a bit, about two hundred on the Hillary dead list. It's outrageous. Yeah. Well, Biden has brain hemorrhages right now, and we see it all the time on the air when you video when look at the videotape. You can't put two sentences together. That's very clear. So the thing of it is, this 25th Amendment business that they keep talking about, maybe we, they should apply it right now instead of putting us through this torture. But it seems to me That's that entirely possible. That's entirely possible. I think it would be too peculiar to do it too quickly, but I, it's entirely possible to take them out with the 25th. Uh, uh, Kamala move up, bring in Hillary, and then they'll switch places, something like that. Believe me, Hillary is eager to run the whole shop. Right, but she's Dave in Chicago. Here. I wanted to uh, bring up something here really quickly and then ask uh, Jim two questions after I do that. So it's Fred's moment here. It's the uh, we are living now in the 21st century, now the 21st year, it's the 21st day, we're in the 21st hour, and at 21 minutes and 21 seconds past the hour, we'll, we'll be at all 21. I'd like Fred spread comments on that before we reach that moment. Okay, Dave. Uh, yeah, I did a little calculation on that, everyone. Uh, 21, 21, 21. And uh, the, the prime factor that uh, applies to today is 1979, which is 21 years into the 23rd cycle of 89. I won't go into all the details, but 1979 was the Arab Revolution in Iran when 
all the hell broke loose. So 1979 corresponds to today, and that's 21, 21, 21, the 21st year into the 23rd cycle since the Pope and the geographic thing was all done in 1958, the year that I was born. That's when that phase started, the 23rd cycle of 89, but 1979 applies to today. Fred, you were born, you were born in 1958? 58, Jim. <laughs> that was the year I graduated from high school, my friend. All right. Go, baby. <laughs> class of 58, South Pasadena High School, class of 58. Isn't that something? Wow. Oh, gosh. Okay, now, now the uh, the things I've noticed in the past two hours, uh, these are questions for Tim. Uh, there is a report on Twitter of 5,000 troops that had been sleeping in the Senate cafeteria, and today yeah. uh, they were unceremoniously kicked out of the cafeteria, and they were moved to a outdoor parking garage structure, uh, 5,000 troops, one bathroom, uh, no heat. Uh, but they're, so they're still in D.C., number one. Number two, they're being treated horribly. Uh, so it's clear that they're all not leaving and going home. Uh, so that's the data point I wanted to give you. How, how do you interpret that, Jim? Well, I think it's part of the military occupation of Washington, D.C., which is not intended to protect Joe Biden, but actually to take him prisoner at the appropriate time. Um, I also, in the past two hours, was sent on a channel that I follow on Telegram. Uh, the, the channel was the first place I learned about the COVID thing. I learned about the COVID thing the first week of December last year, uh, way ahead of the curve. This guy just shared a bunch of photos showing incredible irregularities about the ceremony that took place. And the way he signed some of these executive orders, including the fact that the background in the windows, they're claiming isn't the current background there. They, there used to be a parking lot behind the Oval Office windows, and now there's something different there. And he, he, he's claiming these photos weren't, either weren't taken now, i.e. they were taken four years ago, or uh, they were taken in a studio. Well, I wouldn't rule anything out. They just did a little show about how they redecorated the Oval Office, and it had a lot of gold and yellow and so forth, and an old blue, a blue rug that had been in Barack Obama's office. And, and this is really, I think, well looked upon as a third term for Barack Obama, who, remember, just moved a couple miles away from the White House and brought in Valerie Jarrett and in order to continue to run a sabotage operation against Donald Trump, one of the most treasonous acts by a former president of the United States in our history. So I don't discount anything. I think there are lots of oddities here, and, uh, you know, uh, they may well be on to something. The immediate suburb where, where I am, I, I go to Titan's Corner each morning from, from Maryland, and the, all the hotels are full of, full of military people staying in the hotels. If you go to Tyson's Corner, which is about 10 minutes from where I'm sitting, the place is completely packed with military people. Nobody, and they've canceled all the reservations for ordinary people. You cannot get a place to stay anywhere. And the rest of well, I'll guarantee you. I'll guarantee you they're not there to protect Washington, D.C. from Trump supporters. No, they're not. 
because there are there, there no, no Trump supporters in the city. They didn't go in this time. The, the city is empty, except for them. But they're also staying in the hotel, being fed by the by the Sheridan, by the you know you know the, the Hilton, the, you know the, the Marriott hotels in this area are packed. I mean, just all the reservations, everybody else has been suspended or or just if you can't go there, except if you're military. So they're all already there. If you were to go there right now, of course you can't go there at night on the Bellwood. But if you were tomorrow morning, nine o'clock, you would drive into these into Tyson's Corner, you'd see them all roaming around outside the hotel room. They're everywhere. Absolutely. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, I find that fascinating. So, you know, um, and I go to a place called the Corner Bakery, which is one of the places in Tyson's Corner, and you're seeing congressmen and senators in and out of the place all the time dressed in in their ordinary street clothes, not in suits or anything, and they are talking quietly amongst themselves about what I have no clue, but suddenly you'll hear, you know, a bang, and then suddenly they're all on alert, and they're all running around inside the Tyson's Corner uh, uh, a shopping mall, as if as if they're, they're they're on call to do something or other. Now, I don't know whether they've got cars or anything set up inside this this, this huge mall, but it's a city into itself. It's like driving into Manhattan, driving into the center of Boston. Except the Tyson's Corner really is the center of Washington D.C in terms of habitation, restaurants, and the like. Right on the Beltway, it's right on the Beltway. So you get downtown to the city in 10 minutes from there. Um, it's very interesting. It is. It is. You would have thought if they were there, if they were there to protect the sanctity of the inauguration, that they'd already have departed the city, but they have not. No, no, no they're, right, they're there right now. If you were to go there right now, you would find there's no rooms available for you. They're full of military people in this Gibby, you know, in their in their the uniforms. No place to no place to stay, and they're not going to leave. It's just what I'm told. They're not going to leave for a while, at least for a few weeks, whatever that means. It's a it's a thirty day plan. Yeah. Well, hey Susan and Jim, uh, maybe you could comment now. Uh, that fencing or the massive fence in downtown D.C. is very substantial. It's very high. It's very strong. It has barbed wire facing inward. Uh, can you guys comment on, I've never seen any fence like that, even in pictures from Iraq or what. This is a major, major manufacturing operation. And for that fence to just appear, and, and there's got to be miles and miles of that fence, uh, in downtown D.C. Can you guys comment on that? Um, Jim, do you want to go ahead? I didn't catch the whole question, Susan. Why don't you go ahead and I'll follow. Yeah, the, the, the fence that's in D.C. looks extraordinarily well built. It's not true. Yeah. It's very strong. It, it, it has barbed wire facing inward. It has the stanchions, the support columns. It's, it's not just up in the last, you know, there's a lot of uh, planning, preparation, manufacturing, logistics that went into building that and putting that in place. Yes, yes, yes. And I think that may be be to protect federal property that belongs to the United States, the, the Constitutional Republic, from those who are 
supporters of the corporation. I think there's a lot going on here beneath the surface. Susan, go ahead. Susan, comment too. Yes, hi. I would agree with that, and and I think it was constructed to um, keep people in as opposed to keeping people out. Um, and and I, I agree with um, with Jim. And also, if you if you notice, I think this is a very um, uh, good sign that um, that Biden is not the president. Um, that the the corporate backed um, Black Lives Matter have resumed um, burning down cities and rioting. And I think this is again to protest um, that they, they again they, they did not get their their own way. So I, I think that you know as, as Jim says that the, the barbed wire is intended to protect um, you know the, to, to protect the um, you know the infrastructure of Capitol Hill. Yeah, it's pretty damn interesting. I have a friend who knows a contractor who was in the city and said he noticed the supports were external to the property, meaning they were designed, as Susan said, to keep people in, not to keep them out. Yeah. So I know that there are tunnels in the new Capitol Hill and that um, there are troops within those tunnels preventing any of the, you know, the, the swamp creatures from leaving. But I just honestly, I, I cannot imagine that um, that those in, in, on Capitol Hill, uh, you know, who are potentially, you know, who, who might be convicted of crimes haven't already left. So this could have something to do with uh, personnel in underground bases or some other, you know, type, maybe some other type of um, uh, situation. Well, Simon Pops had knowledge that Pop was the best opportunity to round up, like around 500 perps, that they'll, you know, they're tracking, they're being tracked, they know where everyone is. I had that report previously, so... There was a matter of having to adjust the plan, but it appears it's going to move forward. That's correct. Uh, I have one other observation I wanted to share with you guys. Dave mentioned the numbers. Uh, the 17 prime number coincided with the inauguration in, in uh, January of 19, uh, 2017. And 86 cycles of 17 bring us to today. And today is the first full day of, of Trump technically being in this new situation. 86 is to remove, to get rid of, whatever. It, it's, it's the term used uh, to deplatform. And, and in effect, Trump, you know, in a, in a strange and twisted way, has been deplatformed into this new situation to restore the republic. So I thought that was interesting that 86 time 17 days back to the inauguration in 2000. Well, I love that. I just love that. And if we're correct about all of this, Donald J. Trump is going to go down as the greatest president in the history of the nation without any comparison, not even close. No, you're right. I agree with that. And also, um, the Q refers to uh, the, the Q level security, which is the highest level security that, that you can possess. And that used to belong to the Queen of England, since you know the, the British monarchy effectively owned um, the United States. So that's where the the Q uh, Q reference came from. The corporation, the corporation. The, the, cor the corporation, correct. Oh wow, fascinating. <laughs> well, that 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 day cycle that goes to the inauguration in 2017 is the cycle that connects back to the divine birth of Christ, August 11th. 6 BC, and it actually it's 17 squared times 71, 
that, that, that goes right to that date, July, uh, January 20th, 2017. It's 17 times 17 times 71 and some other uh, prime factors. But those are the biggest prime factors, 17 and 71, which is the reverse of 17, goes right to that date. When well, I have no, no idea of your mathematical ingenuity. This is fascinating stuff. <laughs> uh, I, I'm... I'm not a numerologist, but um, my understanding is that the the Meshiach or the Messiah um, is, is present. So the Messiah refers to, it's not the, the rebirth of Jesus, but it's the person who will join kingdoms and, and time um, and will bring people together. So this is the, the person who will restore integrity to our, our governments and to our institutions. So you have the Messiah who is currently battling the Antichrist. The Antichrist was allegedly Obama. and um, Israel now is is a huge thing, and Israel now is, is in um, a bit of a, a fix because the original um, country was. I mean, it, the Jewish state was. Um, or the terms of the establishment were that uh, Israel was intended to be run by a temple and not by the Knesset. So they violated the terms of their establishment, and they they risked being dissolved. Okay. That's a one factor that a lot of people are not aware of, and so they're kind of holding on, you know, for dear life. I got to say, Fred, this is one of the most extraordinary conversations in which I've ever participated. <laughs> wow, that's saying a lot, Jim. Yeah. Well, Jim, yeah, that's, that's, that's a lot of territory. Well, guys, everyone, it's been a, a, a wonderful show tonight. Uh, anyone else want to chime in before we put a bow tie on this? Thank you very much, Susan and, and Jim, for your contributions tonight. And, and please, uh, before we go, I'd I just like to invoke uh, uh, everyone to pray in some way, shape, or form. I pray the rosary every day, once a day, if not more times. Mm -hmm. And, and, I, and I usually lead off with, if somebody's ill, sick, or in need, I, I, I visualize that. Our country is, is divided. Uh, there, there's, there's deep, deep divisions going on, and we're not going to take the platitudes of this phony unity that is being shoved down our throats from the mainstream media. We've got our unity and conviction behind a restored republic. And thank you people like you, Susan and Jim, and, and all of the people on this call. We've been at this for many, many years. Uh, keep, uh, keep it simple. Keep it direct. Keep it underground. We've been at this for a long time. And if more people would do, the, do it this way and communicate, uh, we've, we've shared uh, some amazing insights on this call. Thanks to everyone's contribution. And I just want to say thank you and say a prayer for everyone like Susan and Jim for keeping at it, oh. keeping the research going. And, and, and keep spreading the truth because it really does make a difference. It's been a joy, a joy to join you, Fred, and everyone else here yeah. tonight on the call. And I'm very appreciative to Susan for joining me tonight. Oh, I'm very appreciative for the for the opportunity. And um, if I can ever you know support your efforts in the future, you know I, I do hope you will call on me again. But I, I appreciate the opportunity, and um, and, and I, I agree with the, those sentiments that. Um, the most powerful um, uh, uh, voice that we have, it, it, and actually, uh, and I'm sorry, I'm a little tired tonight, so I'm not articulating as well as I should, but um, I think that um, part of the, the trials that, that we face are due to the fact that we have um, uh, we've lost our connection.